Hey, welcome to our Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Wipek, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have on with us our Chief Investment Officer and Managing Partner, Jeff Powell. Jeff, good to speak to you. Good to be here. So Jeff, uh, this is a, a conversation that I'm really uh, eager to hear your thoughts on. It's one that we get asked all the time, given the fact that we're in such a low yielding environment. So one of the number one complaints that we have, and this is especially true for people that are in retirement looking to start utilizing their portfolio to start generating uh, cash flow is where can people go for a decent return or a decent yield rather on their assets? Um, and I say this with the treasury rates, which I know is oftentimes what people reference being very low, um, but what Yes, first of all, what are your thoughts on where treasuries are at? And then we'll get into some of the areas that people can look at that are alternatives to uh, your typical bond type of portfolio. I'm trying not to stick her too hard as you're, you're talking about uh, where rates are right now, because I mean, from a historical standpoint, we're not at absolute lows, but I mean, you, you threw it out there. The 10-year treasury uh, finished today at just under 1.3%. Uh, so when we're looking at having uh, a bond market uh, and and being able to rely on fixed income. There's no way in the world that one can rely on this unless they've got uh, more money than they know uh, how to deal with. They're, you're not going to be able to pick up uh, the kind of yield on your fixed income to to be able to have a retirement like you used to in days past. I mean, when I was first starting off in this business 30 years ago, you know, if you were talking to a retiree, what you would typically start off with is, okay, how much money do you need for retirement? And so the person would tell you what they needed, and then you would get that for them in the way of the fixed income. And then you would build the rest of the portfolio around that in order to sit there and provide them the safety of the income. And then the growth uh, of the equity portion, you had an extended time period to, to allow that to continue to grow and to offset inflation and, and be able to build upon the bond portfolio from there. In this environment, there's no way in the world that you could possibly do it with having a tenure at, at 1.3. The 30-year treasury right now is at 1.9%. So we're not going to see a, a bond market uh, anytime soon that's going to be able to support a retirement uh, for really anybody uh, the way that it has in days past. No, and Jeff, when you say that the 10 years at 1.3, I mean, to put that in perspective, if someone had a $10 million portfolio, right, that would only generate $130,000 per year, which I recognize certain parts of the country that may sound like a lot. In California, that's, I mean, you're just barely making it in a lot of places. And so since that's not realistic for most people, um, how, I guess, how should people be thinking about this with their portfolio? Um, what, I guess, what is the best way to construct a portfolio given the fact that interest rates are extremely low, not quite rock bottom, but very close to it? Well, you're no longer going to be able to do anything traditional. So uh, the first thing I would throw out is if you're looking for something uh, you know, super easy, the, the answer is not in the stock or bond market. Um, first thing I'd throw out uh, and probably the easiest way of being able to handle it is grow your portfolio and be able to skim off the top. Uh, keep enough money on the sidelines so that you've got six months to a year's worth of money so that if we were to see a material pullback into the uh, in the stock market that you're not taking out of your portfolio at 20 or 30 percent lows um, and you're able to to fight your way back out of that kind of situation and grow your money that would be 
you know, rule number one. From there, though, if you're really going to start looking at alternatives, real estate would be one, annuities would be one, uh, callable yield notes would be, uh, you know, a third alternative for somebody uh, to really be looking at, no pun intended, uh, mm-hmm. at what they would be looking at with, within that marketplace. So, again, what we're really trying to say is that it's not going to be found in a traditional 60-40 stock-to-bond uh, portfolio that's out there. Uh, you're really going to have to look at it and go, okay, I'm going to go 80-90% stock, and I'm going to just take off the top, and that's going to be my my amount of money that I thought I was going to have for income. Uh, and if that's not what you feel comfortable with, then we've got to think outside the box. Yeah, and so, and Jeff, those are uh, those examples that you listed. I mean, I I certainly agree with you. Those are areas that are looking a lot more attractive because they're much more reasonable given where the interest rate environment is and the lack of yield in the bond market. So what I'm hoping that we can do is just spend some time and really dive into those a little bit and help people understand really how they work, what they are, and give them, um, I guess, a general overview so they can start deciding if this is something that may be worth uh, exploring further. And so that first one that you listed, annuities, um, I think is a, a very interesting one to, to start off with. And I will throw out there, whenever someone mentions the word annuity, my initial reaction is to cringe. And I don't say that because annuities are a bad product, um, but I think that they're often misunderstood and misused. And so uh, I guess with that uh, context laid out, Jeff, what is an annuity and, and how does it work? Probably the easiest way of describing an annuity is to imagine a lollipop. Uh, the lollipop itself is the investment. Uh, the wrapper that goes around the lollipop is an insurance product. Uh, so the uh, the actual little wrapper protects your lollipop from taxes. Um, and then the actual underlying investment itself uh, is the lollipop. Um, you can take that lollipop and kind of put it into two different categories. You've got fixed annuities and you've got variable annuities. And within a fixed annuity, basically uh, the insurance company takes on the risk of uh, providing you a specific income level uh, per year uh, and provides that to you. Now, being the fact that we are at historic, and I do mean historic lows with regard to interest rates. Now, we're not at absolute lows, we're just at historic lows. You probably don't want to be locking in a fixed rate annuity right now when rates are at its all-time low or very close to it. Uh, but what you should be looking at is if rates were to go up, perhaps you could lock in a much better rate at a later time and have that as an income stream uh, for the rest of your life, which is what a fixed annuity uh, provides for you. A variable annuity, on the other hand, I mean, if you think about uh, what we're talking about, variable, and this is typically invested in uh, in mutual funds, uh, and basically you create your own asset allocation, try to grow your your portfolio. In our case, for this discussion, it's worth mentioning that Polaris Wealth is actually a provider of uh, investment strategies within an annuity. So if you were interested in a variable annuity, any one of our strategies that we run right now are available to you as an investor uh, within our private placement annuities. So again, you'd want to just talk to your wealth advisor, uh, find out A, if it's appropriate or not, and then B, uh, you know, again, if you want to turn off the, the spigots for taxes, uh, is another reason to sit there and be looking at this as well as the income level. So uh, talk to your, your Polaris wealth advisor and let's find out if that's an appropriate investment for you. Yeah, and Jeff, that's, uh, 
that's a very interesting part of an annuity and one that probably uh, deserves exploring a little bit further. So you mentioned that wrapper that protects you against uh, any tax implications. Do you mind, uh, I guess, going a little bit deeper on that? So what exactly do you mean when you say that? How does an annuity shelter someone from potential taxes if they're uh, using that vehicle? Well, the wrapper itself is, is an insurance product. It's life insurance. Uh, and with that life insurance product, uh, it shelters or, or protects the underlying investment uh, from being taxed until there's a withdrawal. Uh, so, for example, I mean, if you kind of almost think like a, a water jug, you know, the ones with a tap at the bottom of it, um, imagine pouring a cup of water into it each day and it keeps on growing and growing and growing. Uh, unless you push the, the uh, bottom part to start taking and drawing water out, that grows for you without t any taxes whatsoever. Uh, so uh, the insurance, the actual product itself, uh, in a lot of cases, depending on, on where you're going, can cost you uh, a huge commission, uh, which is one of the reasons why uh, annuities oftentimes have a bad rap. Uh, they oftentimes have huge restrictions on the amount of time that you've got to remain in it in order to pull your money out without having any restrictions whatsoever. Uh, with our private placement annuity, there are no upfront commissions, there's no back-end commissions. Uh, the mortality and expense uh, cost to our annuity run 50 basis points uh, or half of 1% uh, on top of what we would typically charge you uh, for straight management of your assets. So you can actually um, be in our annuity for a half of 1% more per year and make a decision on when you want your taxes to actually be drawn. Yeah, and, and Jeff, this is one of the aspects of the annuity that I think uh, can be incredibly powerful, um, is that much like a, an IRA account where it's growing tax deferred and the taxes are only incurred once the funds are taken out of the annuity. So once you either tap into the uh, income stream or if you end up rolling it out into something that's not uh, tax deferred. So it's uh, been a very effective tool for us for people that are in some of the higher tax brackets with California and then also the, the federal taxes being, uh, the combination of the two being in excess of 50% for some individuals. And then you, you mentioned earlier also real estate. So obviously uh, real estate's one of those assets that's very popular in the US. How can real estate be um, a great income alternative for people? Well, I mean, obviously the person that's uh, buying uh, a you know a general property you're, you're not looking at your home necessarily as being an investment so this what we're really talking about is investment real estate not you know, put a roof over my head uh, or rent out a room to a, a, you know a vrbo person or something along those lines what we're really talking about is uh, investing in you know either commercial or multifamily uh, residency uh, and again, what we're really trying to do is by the ownership of that real estate, uh, being able to generate uh, enough revenue to be able to be passed on to the underlying investor uh, so that they're able to reap uh, the benefit of investing in it. Uh, so when we talk about real estate rather than yield, which is what we typically talk about uh, with fixed income, we talk about cap rate or capitalization rate, which all that really means is I put $100,000 in, uh, to this investment, how much am I getting back out? Okay, so if you actually own the property itself, you got to back out things like your mortgage, things about like you know the the house not being rented, your insurance costs. Uh, if there's a homeowners association fee, you name whatever associated expense that comes along with that, 
and that goes against your cap rate, uh, which makes it especially on the uh, on the coasts, California in particular. Um, and again, if you look kind of at the Northeast, as well as even places like Miami and so on, it makes it very, very, very hard to generate significant income when you've got to pay a mortgage, you got to pay insurance, you got to pay taxes, you got to pay homeowners dues and so on. Uh, but really what you want to be looking at within it and what we've been helping our clients do is find uh, real estate investment uh, uh, investments that are paying six, seven, eight, and in some cases even higher income uh, where they are completely hands off. They're not taking a phone call uh, from their tenant saying their plumbing is backed up and they need to get a plumber out uh, to unclog a toilet. They are passive investors making good income off of an investment that uh, prior to that, they weren't able to sit there and, and, and find solid numbers. So that's something that is definitely worth, uh, you know, our clients exploring when you're talking about cash on cash, you know, getting that kind of number. So you were talking before about that person with $10 million only being able to get uh, about $130,000. Well, in this case with real estate, if you're talking about an 8% return uh, on something like that, you're talking about a million and a half dollars, not 10 million to get to that $130,000 level. Yeah, and when you lay it in that context, I mean, the difference is staggering. And then on top of that, um, there's upside potential in that real estate portfolio, whereas fixed income, it's very difficult to uh, build a case that those values are gonna go up. Uh, and Jeff, can you talk a little bit about the various ways to invest in real estate? So the one that naturally comes to mind is direct ownership. So someone out, uh, goes out and buys uh, our property or multiple properties, but are there other ways that people can own real estate if they don't want to do all that legwork? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are multiple ways. I mean, obviously, you know, again, uh, biggest thing out there is that direct ownership. I think that's probably the most common uh, for, you know, almost your do-it-yourselfers. Um, another super easy way of doing it is going out. There are companies, uh, stocks that you can buy right now, real estate investment trusts that you can go out and you can buy directly um and have the underlying uh, valuation of what they have so um you know a simon properties group would be a great example of a company that owns a ton of other properties you buy one stock and you've got ownership and all of them uh, because you are an owner of the underlying company uh, so that's probably the second most common way of being able to to do it is just to go out and buy a common stock uh, getting down a little bit more granular you can invest in a delaware statutory trust um, and you can also just directly get yourself involved in a limited partnership where you're just doing direct investments uh, into a kind of a consortium of uh, and allow that manager uh, or I should say that the, the overall real estate person to physically buy the property itself, run that property. Yes, you do pay for that. But again, uh, you can make some very good money, uh, both in the way in the form of growth as well as income in this. One thing that you mentioned, Jeremy, in the last, and I, I think that it's worth uh, reiterating and really kind of driving home, is given what we're dealing with right now with inflation and the potential of inflation that's out there, uh, you need to be looking at not only real return or, or a nominal return, but real returns. So we had thrown out a 1.3% return in the treasury. But when you take into account right now that uh, core inflation is at 3.8%, you're basically saying that you're more than happy uh, to sit there and throw away 2.3, 2.5, you know, depending on where rates go from here, uh, buying uh, your buying ability to go away. 
So to your point, not only do you need to have that income being generated uh, from whatever real estate that you own, but you should also really be looking at what the future growth pattern of that real estate is as well, because it's equally as important. If you're going to offset whatever inflation that we're dealing with right now uh, and still be able to collect a check on what you're taking, uh, you need to have both. Yeah, Jeff, and that's that's a great point. Um, and one, the other one that you mentioned that I think is really a great one for, to, uh, I guess, kind of what everyone's appetite on, and I recognize probably don't have enough time to do this full justice, is the callable yield note. And the reason why I really like this one is because we, we have this conundrum where obviously equity is an equity-like asset, very attractive on the return side, although you do have a lot of volatility um, at times with that. On the other end of the spectrum, historically speaking, fixed income has been a much smoother ride, but it can't even come close to inflation right now. And so, and then we have these things that are somewhere in between, the callable yield note being one of those. Can you give us a high-level overview? What is a callable yield note? Well, a callable yield note is an alternative investment that takes the combination of uh, underlying uh, volatility and indexes and tries to monetize it on behalf of the investor uh, using hedging techniques in a process of. So I know that's a mouthful to sit there and kind of think about in that way, but essentially what you're looking at in most cases is to uh, invest in something over a period of time. Uh, and what I mean by that is that you would sit there and look out three years, five years, six years on an investment. Uh, they would you know, typically take an underlying index like the Russell uh, 2000, which is small cap, or the S&P 500, or the Dow Jones, uh, and you basically are um, both writing and, and um, you know, writing meaning that you're selling or buying, uh, you know, both calls and puts in order to create uh, spreads in which you can make money. Right now, the average callable yield note that we are seeing right now in this market is paying and kind of the seven, eight percent range, uh, while somebody is uh, investing in this way. Normally, the the only the, the risks that are involved is a material drop in the marketplace. And so, uh, what you want to be doing there is looking at uh, what is called a coupon, as well as principal protection uh, to the downside. And so, you can set that. It can be twenty-five. It can be thirty. It can be thirty-five. It can be forty. Uh, the further away that you are from losing money, uh, the greater the chance or the, the less you're going to get paid for uh, the risk that you're taking within that market, though. So just, again, probably would, the best thing to do would be to say, hey, uh, I'm interested in learning a little bit more about the callable yield notes. Uh, it's kind of hard to, to describe them without a visual, but I've heard about these things. I'm interested in and generating an alternative way of being able to make money. Uh, so how do I go about doing that with you guys? Um, and just kind of leave it at that. Let us do our, um, do our job bringing you uh, what would be, I think, a, a pretty interesting and, and potentially lucrative thing uh, for you to be looking at. But uh, they're very attractive ways of, of being able to generate income.
So, and Jeff, uh, the the part that you're talking about, the principal and the coupon protection, I mean, this can be pretty substantial. So, for example, that we'll use the 40% uh, principal and coupon protection point. I mean, that literally means on the principal protection, the market would have to fall more than 40% in order for that person to see any of that market volatility or that downside risk uh, have a principal impact for them. So, this is one of those tools that I think is very powerful. Um, agreeably a little bit difficult to understand initially but uh, can be a nice kind of halfway point between a safety portfolio of uh, fixed income or a higher risk portfolio on stocks where you're kind of marrying in between the two but getting a much healthier yield as a result of that with these uh, income alternatives um, any considerations or overall considerations that people should make as they think about options that may be best suited for them just given uh, the landscape that we're facing well I think that you know one of the first things is is know what you're doing uh, do it in, in moderation and, and diversify yourself within it uh, what I was going to say within this is you know when you are talking about uh, the principal protection and and, uh, and having uh, coupon protection of an investment. Uh, obviously, you know, again, you want to be cognizant of the time period in which you've got to operate that as well. So uh, when we're looking at this and looking at any of the investments and, and any of these income uh, producers, over what period of time are you talking about? And you know, are we in a position of being able to replicate this over and over again? And if not, we probably want to try to lock that income source in uh, if it's above average for as long as we possibly can. So, you know, the biggest part, understand what you're investing in as much as you possibly can. If you don't fully understand what uh, is going on, uh, then again, the recommendation is, is to sit down with your Polaris Wealth Advisor, have them walk you through exactly, uh, you know, what we're talking about today, uh, but how to harness it, how to take advantage of you know, two or three of these different ideas, maybe four of them. And it really kind of comes down to uh, what's in uh, your best interest and, you know, kind of a combination of looking at, at risk and return. Yeah, Jeff, actually, I really appreciate the fact that you're talking about the the time frame um, and the lack of liquidity with a lot of these instruments that uh, that is as important of a consideration as many other things is when do you need these funds? Because uh, as the name implies with these being alternative income sources with many alternatives, Right. One of the trade-offs and why they get better returns is that they're not freely liquid. You can't just say tomorrow, you know what, I need the money, give me everything. Um, most of these don't work quite like that. So I think that's a great consideration for people and just being realistic on the time frame and what they can realistically lock up in something like uh, one of these uh, solutions um, to try to get a better yield than the more liquid uh, options that are available. So as always, Jeff, thank you very much for your time and explaining some of these more difficult concepts in a way that makes it uh, much easier for us to uh, wrap our heads around. Well, my pleasure. So, and for all of you that are listening with us, uh, as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. 
Polaris Wealth does not offer professional legal or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.